Refugee and asylum issues are in the media a lot these days. I'm going to try and get behind the headlines to explore some of the real-life issues that asylum seekers face and that social workers may come across in the course of their work. Sally Daglian is the chief executive of the Scottish Refugee Council based here in Glasgow. And I began by asking her to set the numbers involved in the issue in some sort of context. Well, the numbers of asylum seekers across Europe have been reducing um, over the last few years and the numbers within the UK have reduced by 40%. You know, So if you put all of the asylum seekers uh, in the UK into Hampden Stadium, there would still be room for a few thousand Scottish residents. And here in Scotland, there's an estimated 5,000 um, asylum seekers living in Glasgow. Which is a tiny percentage of the population. It's a very small number and one of the biggest problems at the moment is that the public perception is that we have hundreds and thousands of people coming here, that the UK takes far more people than anywhere else in the world. Whereas the truth is that most uh, asylum seekers and refugees are living in the developing world. Most of them don't get as far as Western uh, Europe. And in terms of the UK being the fourth or fifth wealthiest economy uh, in the world, then uh, it seems to me that we should be able to provide a welcome and support to those small numbers of people who actually come here seeking our protection. And that is one of the roles of the SRC, isn't it? Yes, uh, Scottish Refugee Council is uh, a national charity and we're here primarily to provide advice, information and support to asylum seekers and refugees and to refugee communities. Um, but we also work to ensure that Scotland is a welcoming environment for refugees and we work to inform the public of what the real issues are, what are the facts as opposed to the myths that we often read in the newspapers. Um, and we have a campaigning role. We're here to make sure that uh, the government meets its international humanitarian and legal obligations to provide protection to refugees. What sorts of practical help on a day-to-day basis do you offer refugees and asylum seekers? It's a very wide range. Um, we provide support and information in helping people to understand the system that they find themselves in. Seeking asylum is a very uh, complicated process. Most people don't know anything about that when they come. All they know is that they have to leave their country because their lives are in danger. What rights do people who come here as refugees and asylum seekers have? The very first right is that people have a right to come here to claim asylum. And there's, again, a great deal of confusion about that and people talking about, for example, illegal asylum seekers. Well, the right to claim asylum is something which is enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So people who come here seeking asylum have a right to be heard, they have a right for their story to be listened to, and they have a right for an assessment to be made of whether they, under international law, meet the criteria to be a refugee. If asylum seekers are destitute, then they have some rights to support from the state, but they don't have any rights to access mainstream public benefits. Um, And unlike other people, they're not allowed to work. Rights imply obligations. What obligations do local authorities have in terms of asylum seekers? 
that has changed um, since the introduction of a NAS, the National Asylum Support Service, which has the legal duty to support asylum seekers. But uh, local authorities have got uh, duties to children. For example, asylum-seeking children are covered by the provisions of the Children's Act. Asylum seekers who uh, need community care assessments would be entitled to them. Can you tell me in a bit more detail what NAS involves? The National Asylum Support Service was set up by the government to provide housing and support to destitute asylum seekers who previously had been supported through the the mainstream welfare benefit system. The new system meant that any asylum seeker coming to the UK who doesn't have the means to support themselves uh, has to make an application to this government department which will assess whether it thinks they're destitute and then uh, allocates housing on a no-choice basis and housing is in uh, what are called dispersal areas across the UK. Um, Prior to the establishment of NAS, The majority of asylum seekers in the UK arrived and stayed in London and the introduction of a dispersal system was to be a mechanism to relieve pressure on London and the south-east where access to public sector housing is particularly difficult and to have a system of sharing support across the country. Um, When they're accepted for NAS support, they then receive cash support on a weekly basis which is equivalent to about 70% of income support as well as being you know considerably less than other people are expected to live on asylum seekers don't then have access to the other benefits that are generally triggered for people who are on income support so you know what are called top-up benefits like disability benefit for example or community care grants so Asylum seekers have often got huge problems because they arrive in the UK with very little, sometimes only the clothing that they stand up in. So what options are open to them in that situation? People are reliant on charitable donations. Um, In Scotland we have something called the Refugee Survival Trust which uh, was set up and is a fund which is available to asylum seekers and refugees in real hardship. Other than the financial hardship, what other pressures and difficulties do asylum seekers face? I think the main one is anxiety, that people have a whole range of experiences which are very difficult for them to understand and come to terms with. First of all, there's a situation which caused them to flee in the first place. So people have often experienced war or torture or some form of persecution. And I think that's hard for us to imagine um, what that means, but it can mean being you know, beaten up being arbitrarily detained by security services, being threatened and intimidated, having members of your family killed. When they then escape, they've often lost their family. Many female asylum seekers in particular have actually lost their children. They've become separated from them and sometimes they don't even know where their children are. So they're in a war situation and they may literally have lost contact. They don't know where their children are. People also are very, very anxious about the future. They don't know what's going to happen. 
They enter a system where they're often not believed and they feel that they're not believed. So having had these very difficult experiences, they are often treated as not credible by the immigration services. And what about the welcome they receive once they come here? That, I would say, is very variable. Certainly for people coming to Glasgow, they experience the very best and I think the very worst. Many people suffer from racial harassment, from abuse. Asylum seeker in itself as a term has become a term of abuse. People feel then that there is a real stigma and a shame attached to being an asylum seeker. And wherever people go, they're asked about their immigration status. And often that's in a a negative way. There's a suggestion that, well, if you're an asylum seeker, you must be a scrounger. And does that make it difficult in itself to access services? People are sometimes asked about their immigration status when they're trying to access services. And in the majority of cases, there's absolutely no reason why that question is being asked. Sometimes asylum seekers are casually asked by service providers, why are you here? And people, when they ask those questions, I think, don't have an appreciation of the trauma that people might have experienced and the very difficult circumstances that they've fled from. So these are questions which are very difficult for people to answer if it's not in an environment where people feel safe and feel um, comfortable. Talk me through some of the other barriers to accessing services that you mentioned. Well, I think the biggest barrier is knowledge, that people actually don't know the range of services that exist. They don't know what their entitlements are. They don't understand how things um, work here. I mean, many asylum seekers in the UK are people who've come from professional backgrounds. They have been uh, business people. But when they come here... They have lost the status that they had. They lose a lot of their self-esteem along with that. And then they find themselves within a system that they don't understand. And that's very, very disempowering. Some services um, that we have here and take for granted uh, aren't the same where they come from. So, you know, there, there isn't a concept in many countries of social work services. People have no idea what that what that means or what support you might be able to receive. And, of course, these sorts of problems are compounded by language. Many of them may speak three or four other languages, but many will arrive here without English, and, of course, that then is a huge barrier. What particular pressures do children face when they come here? Children, like adults, um, have to cope with unfamiliarity, But children are very adaptable, and I think we often see that children, I think, uh, adapt more quickly than their parents. They certainly pick up language skills uh, very quickly. But, of course, children face particular problems here. Sometimes they're inappropriately uh, used as interpreters for their parents. There is an element of loss of childhood for some uh, refugee children. Sometimes they're living with parents who are you know, very traumatised or who are not dealing well themselves with the situation. So you know, children, to some extent, become 
carers for their parents. And, of course, that has all sorts of implications for family dynamics and uh, relationships, as well as for children's own uh, self-esteem. And do women face any particular difficulties? Many women find themselves on their own as asylum seekers living in a culture which is very different and they've often come from cultures which are very patriarchal and suddenly they find that they are having to do things uh, here and make decisions that they wouldn't have done um, at home. And that can also have um, an impact on relationships within the family. We still in this country do suffer from a certain degree of gender discrimination as well. Does that apply to asylum-seeking women? I think it does. I think people often make assumptions as well about uh, refugee women. And actually the things I've just said might contribute to that because it's very important that we don't generalise about asylum seekers and refugees. You know, amongst the refugees here in the UK, there are women who have, you know, held high-powered jobs within government ministries or in universities. They are highly skilled, well-educated, articulate, and actually people don't expect that. We've talked about the NAS system. Do people fall out with the NAS system and why? People do fall out of the system. But the biggest problem is for people who have been um, refused asylum and who then are have their NAS support terminated because they're no longer eligible. In many cases, people are still going through legal processes and, uh, in fact... They are eligible, but you have to go through um, a process of reapplying. So there can be a period where people have no support. So when mainstream NAS support ends, there's something called Section 4 support, which is even more basic than NAS support. It involves no money whatsoever, but uh, accommodation and uh, food. So, for example... People with children would um, continue to have support under the NAS system until uh, they're removed from the country at the moment. Um, Although there is another section, which is called Section 9, which gives the government the right to terminate support for families and to try and use destitution as a way to force people to leave the country. In what circumstances can you envisage social workers becoming involved with asylum seekers? I think there are a whole range in relation to the normal you know family issues family breakdown child protection um, special needs sometimes in areas where people have got mental health problems psychiatric problems and particularly uh, unaccompanied asylum seeking children I mean they're one of the most vulnerable groups of asylum seekers and under the current legislation uh, Unaccompanied asylum-seeking children are uh, the responsibility of social work departments, so they should receive care and assistance from social services rather than from um, the NAS mainstream system. But one of the problems is sometimes social workers don't uh, themselves fully understand the asylum process, so there isn't... um, independent adult guidance to support the child through that. 
in our experience, and we've carried out some research in Scotland, the support that uh, separated children get varies considerably, um, and sometimes uh, social work departments don't fully understand their obligations. So what advice would you give to individual social workers about dealing with asylum issues, dealing with individual asylum seekers? I think the first thing is to see the individual, you know, to look beyond the label. Don't start with the label. Um, But the most important thing, I think, is to be aware that refugees and asylum seekers uh, may have experienced very, very traumatic events. So people need to be sensitive in the way they work with them and um, be aware of you know the barriers it's quite shocking the number of professionals that we come across in a whole range of fields who actually don't use professional interpreters and who uh, use children as interpreters or think that well you can just get a fellow asylum seeker to interpret Um, I mean I think that's like you know how do you feel if you're going for a service and somehow your next-door neighbour gets pulled in to be the interlocutor between you and your doctor? You know, it's not appropriate and they don't necessarily have the skills. So I think be sensitive, look at the whole picture, but be particularly aware of the the sensitivities of the sorts of experiences that people may have had and also the access to or the lack of access to other support networks. I think that's one of the, the the problems that asylum seekers face as well, is not only when do they come here do they often not have, um, you know, many goods, they don't have uh, support networks, they don't have family and friends and the things that many of us can fall back on. Sally Dalian, thank you very much. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.